your mission should you choose to accept it. It's one of my favorite movie lines. I immediately feel a sense of anticipation for the next adventure that Ethan Hunt, played by Tom Cruise, will go on. Each Mission Impossible movie has a moment when the team gets their next assignment on a pre-recorded message. Those of you who have either watched the TV show back in the day or the movies, you know this moment. It always happens early on. After verifying their identity or his identity, you hear, hello, Ethan, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is... And then the voice on the message explains the mission from IMF, the impossible mission force to undertake. At the conclusion of the explanation, you hear that the pre-recorded message will, de will be destroyed in five seconds, and it does, and the mission begins. Today's gospel lesson reveals our Lord living on the edge of danger with an impossible mission in front of him that only he can say yes to. Controversy is swirling. Jesus has a growing number of enemies. Herod has beheaded John the Baptist and now has placed a price on Jesus' head. This is the context in which our Lord speaks to us. Let's now join Jesus as he makes his way to Jerusalem. The 13th chapter of Luke's gospel. God's word for us. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, get away from here for Herod wants to kill you. He said to them, go and tell that fox for me Listen, I am casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day, I finish my work. Yet today, tomorrow, and the next day, I will be on my way, because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. See your house is left to you and I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Oh God, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts and our minds, may it all be acceptable and pleasing to you. Speak, God, we are listening. Be our teacher. Give us eyes of wonder and a heart of love, we pray. Amen. Somewhere in Galilee, a handful of Pharisees approach Jesus. Curiously, they aren't bent on trapping him as they are so inclined to do, but here they seem to be wanting to warn him and encouraging him to leave in order to save his life. It seems Herod, the ruler of the region, has it in for Jesus, so they try to curb his path, to redirect him 
Jesus, however, tells them to go and tell that fox that he will not hinder me from completing my work. In Luke's gospel, it's early days yet. There's still time to back out from this incredibly difficult mission. But instead, Jesus says, I must be on my way. Jesus refuses to be distracted from his mission. He will not be deterred. Onward to Jerusalem, he goes to a city with a hostile record towards prophets. Jesus' journey to Jerusalem and his death there will be controlled by his faithfulness to God's redemptive purposes, not by Herod. Jesus' faith flows from his sense of mission and his deep relationship with the Father. But even though Jesus is headed for death, the tragedy is not his. It is Israel's. Jesus laments, crying out for the nation and its capital city. It has made a pastime of rejecting God's will, constantly refusing God's care. Friends, consider with me for a moment the practice of lament. It's an unutilized prayer within the church, a practice I believe the church needs to reclaim. Merriam-Webster defines lament as to express sorrow, mourning, or regret for, often demonstratively. Pastor Mark Rogob says, lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. We know that so many things in our world are not as they should be. We know that people in our families and in this congregation are bruised and hurting and sick and discouraged. We tend to be pretty good at expressing joyful songs and thanksgiving, which are beautiful and necessary. But where can we turn when we inevitably face the hardships and injustices of life? Thankfully, all throughout the pages of Scripture, we find a way to express our pain to God. It is called lament. We can be honest with God with the knowledge that God can cope with the outpouring of our anger, unanswered questions, frustration, and sorrow. Jesus was someone who understood lamentation. Jesus does not hesitate to cry out his lament to God in the Garden of Gethsemane, for example, or on the cross. Lament draws us near to God when we are tempted to turn away. The destination of our laments is trust in God. Lament presumes God exists, hears our cry, and has the power to change that which is lamentable into something that is redemptive and good. At times, it is the right way to engage God and others. Let's go back to verse 34. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, 
How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. Here we have this beautiful feminine image of a tender God who is compared to a caring and protective mother hen. The double Jerusalem, Jerusalem shows Jesus' love. We see this in other places in the Bible, but not very often. Only 10 times throughout all of scripture does God call a person or a city's name twice in a double greeting. Only nine people in one city were called twice, which is significant. When God called a name twice in a direct address, it was to get their immediate attention. God needed to tell them something important or to stop them from doing something or to call them to something new and significant. The double Jerusalem, Jerusalem shows Jesus' love like his Martha, Martha in Luke 10 or his Simon, Simon in Luke 22. Dale Bruner writes, this is a love note. At the same time, the doubling of the name gives the tone of sadness. Jesus is lamenting Jerusalem. We will learn later that when he finally sees Jerusalem, that he weeps over it. One of the early church fathers of the fourth and fifth centuries, John Chrysostom, had this to say, what meaneth the repetition O Jerusalem, Jerusalem? This is the manner of one pitying her and bemoaning her and greatly loving her. The compassionate address shows that Jesus was deeply concerned about the people of that city and the people of that land. Like many of you, I've spent the past two weeks reading and watching the news of the war in Ukraine with horror and in awe of the Ukrainian people in response. There's also been a time to offer prayers of lament and to cry out to God for help for all who suffer and so many are suffering. Hopefully you saw the update from our mission committee that through your generosity and faithfulness that we were able to make a donation to Presbyterian Disaster Assistant to provide emergency humanitarian aid to the people of Ukraine. We will continue to look for ways to partner in this work of meeting human need for people in crises. Like the rest of the world, I've been profoundly moved by the spirit and resolve of the heroic figure at the center Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky, including his decision not to flee, there is clear courage beyond what many of us could ever imagine mustering. Zelensky spends his days underground in bunkers and basements, emerging every now and then to raise his nation's spirits. Often on social media, he refused an offer from the U.S. to evacuate him to safer ground, famously saying, I need ammunition, not a ride. Joining his fate with the fate of his people. 
which we all know could result in his death. He's making costly sacrifices for a high purpose and a deep love for a particular people. Wharton professor Adam Grant has this to say about him. Charisma attracts attention. Courage earns admiration. But commitment to a group is what inspires loyalty. We follow the leaders who fight for us and we make sacrifices for the leaders who serve us. We'll have an opportunity to lift the people of Ukraine in prayer later in this service. Bill Robinson, former president of Whitworth University in Spokane, Washington, writes about leadership in his book, Incarnate Leadership. Specifically, he writes about the leadership priorities Jesus demonstrated from the manger to the cross Jesus sacrificed with the awareness that every one of us is leading, that we all, every one of us, have some sort of sphere of influence. Robinson says a key question we should be asking ourselves is what am I sacrificing for those I lead? Maybe it's sacrificing time, comfort, credit, privilege. He goes on to say, the most powerful reason to sacrifice is the one that sent Jesus to the cross. We sacrifice for the mission, for the people executing the mission and for the people served by the mission. It begs the definition of sacrifice if we give something up only to strengthen our position or deepen our influence. We sacrifice largely because we have subordinated our self-interest to our mission and our people. Sacrifices inspire us and lead us. Often the higher purpose that animates our sacrifices is mission and love. Many years ago, during my college days, when the time for me to return back to campus after a holiday break was fast approaching, my dad and I had a significant fight. I've shared this with some of you before. I have no memory of the content of the argument or the circumstances I am confident it was all my dad's fault. <laughs> there was debris everywhere, deep wounds, and a wide chasm between us. Both of us thinking that the other party was guilty and neither one of us willing to move towards the other or to make amends. The sadness and hurt was significant enough that when it came time for me to leave, Dad and I did not say goodbye to one another. There was no eye contact, no well wishes, no hugs. Now this was during the 80s, pre-cell phone. 
So when I drove away from my parents' house in South Florida to make my way to Auburn, Alabama, I would now be pretty separated and disconnected from them for the next several months, except for a once a week phone call. It was a sad goodbye, but I returned to college life appearing healthy and happy, but deep down hurting and not right because of an unreconciled relationship. This went on for weeks until the day unbeknownst to me when my father said a quick goodbye to my mom, gassed up the car, and drove nine hours to find me. Not knowing how I would respond, he humbled himself and came near. There he was, surprisingly, suddenly, in the flesh in front of me. Desiring relationship, humbling himself, pursuing peace, embodying love, a bear of God's light and love, piercing the darkness between us. All because of a father's tenacious love for his stubborn daughter. Friends, motivated by a fierce love for all creation. God became flesh and moved into our neighborhood, humbling himself, taking the initiative, becoming, becoming God in the flesh in our midst because of his desire for a relationship with the people that he loves. We see throughout all of scripture and we see in this particular passage a very important truth and here it is that while the human inclination is to always push away, the divine inclination is to reach toward. God moves towards us, longing for relationship. We see here the constant forgiving action of God. Herod wants to kill him, the disciples will soon desert him, yet God's desire is to gather his rebellious, stubborn, obstinate, sinful children together He's so intentional about it. God knows what human beings are like, how prone we are to miss the mark of loving God, how prone we are to miss the mark of loving one another and to reject and push God away, but Jesus still goes to the cross. He marches to Jerusalem and embraces the cross that awaits him there out of profound love for the world like a mother's fierce love that will stop at nothing to protect her children. We move away, God moves towards, which is incredible news for us, for the people of our city, for a war-torn world that groans with the weight of sin, for your grown son or daughter, family member or dear friend who continues to push God away, God will not give up. God always moves to save, not because of anything that we did to earn or deserve it. It is all a work of grace. 
Friends, I wonder this week, this good spring break week, could this be a time for you to contemplate what God was willing to endure on your behalf, the mission that he said yes to for you? You are loved more than you dare imagine. May love so pure change our lives. To the glory of God, amen. Let's pray together. All praise and honor, glory and majesty to you, triune God. We are in awe of so incredible of the love. Thank you for never giving up on us and for your constant pursuit. We praise you that a new way of living and loving in the world is here because of Jesus Christ. To him be all glory and praise now and forevermore. Amen.